0: All right, let's give it up for Brian. That's awesome. And uh, really cool here. All these different chase okers doing all this really cool stuff and you do cool stuff. And and so we're in this series called Thank God It's Monday where, uh, you know, we're talking about God's perspective of work and what it means to bring our faith into the workplace and thrive and flourish in, in there and help the world thrive and flourish because of what we do. If you missed last week, let me encourage you to go back and listen to that or watch that as we elevated our sense of perspective and purpose about the fact that in, in work, it's not just how we do our work, but actually the work we do, what we do matters to God. And it's part of the creation mandate. And, and I hope that this past week, there, that for those of you who experienced that, that you kind of went back to work with a little bit extra oomph, um, that you went back to work with a little bit of uh, of of more significance, a, a little bit of maybe a commitment to more excellence and to do your work. Well, as under the Lord, as the Bible says, and maybe even enough that somebody said, hey, man, you know, or woman, uh, what got into you? You know, it's cool. You know, but, I, you know, what got into you as a student or as a worker or whatever you whatever you do? Um, and maybe that happened for some of you, though. That maybe was a little tougher because that's easier for some than others. Like you may be in a situation that it's kind of hard to get a lot of oomph to go to work. And you, you want to, and maybe you had a little burst of, okay, I'm going to try this, and it just went pfft, after a little while. Uh, because it's just a tough work environment. And right now, we are in a tough work environment. This is a unique time in our culture. I mean, after all, uh, we, we're living in, in what they call the great resignation, right, where uh, over the last 12 months, over four million every month, over four million American workers have been quitting their jobs, some of them getting out of the workforce altogether, most of them getting another job. But that's a lot of churn over four million every month. If you add all that up together for a year, that's that's close to one third of all American workers. That's nuts. And the number one reason given by far uh, was when, you know, surveyed is burnout. The people feeling just burned out in their job and I just can't do it. And and therefore trying to figure out, uh, you know, maybe a better work environment and moving somewhere else. And then they leave to go do that, which means those who stay have all that work to do, because now these people just left and now I've got to do their work also. And then even if you try to find somebody which is hard to do, To get somebody to come in, you've got to train them, which means you've got to do all that work, plus train these people. And it's like triple duty and talk about burnout. And that's why in a recent study that I saw just about a month ago, they did it. Eighty nine percent of those surveyed across all work in our culture. Eighty nine percent said they're dealing with burnout personally. And burnout is a big deal. It's not just sort of, oh, I'm tired. I mean, burnout is a much more significant thing than that. Eighty-nine percent. Well, what do you do? Well, it seems like what a whole lot of people are doing, right, is saying, well, since I'm burned out and I'm obviously I need a new work environment, and they're switching jobs, and and that may be the right answer. I mean, for some people, I'm sure it is. Like if you if you're in a particularly toxic work environment, then sometimes that's the right answer. Or maybe you're in a job where it your your responsibilities don't match your gifting and your strengths. We'll talk about that in a a couple weeks, actually, Ryan will. Um, Then that's a problem that's worth. That's a sure answer to burnout is being in a job that does not appeal, is not involved in your strengths. But I wonder if a whole lot of people are thinking the answer is to just go somewhere else and get another job when really that's really not the problem. And, and already uh, they've surveyed some of those who've left in the uh, in the great resignation just months you know, ago or days ago, whatever. And they've already found out that of those surveyed, 26 percent said they regretted it. Forty two percent said they didn't go as strong as saying they regret it. But they said, hey, it wasn't changing, wasn't what I thought it would be like. The grass really wasn't greener when I made the change. And they're still in the honeymoon phase of their job. You know, in the first few months where everything seems great and they everybody thinks they're great. And, you know, right in that little mode where everything seems good. I bet if they do the same thing in the same people a year from now, two years from now, those numbers would be a lot bigger. Because what we're going to talk about today and and really it's a it's a God directive is that maybe there's something else. And that, it, that rather than us, you know, thinking, well, maybe it's just another job or another thing or another. maybe there's another answer. Because if you and I don't what we're going to talk about is managing our self. Well, healthy rhythms of life. If we don't figure that out, then we'll if we take those same patterns into a new job, we're going to have the same results. And the Bible is really interesting. Like Paul talks to his protege, Timothy, and in and, and one of those passages in First Timothy, he does it also in Second Timothy. He tells him uh, two very similar things. But in First Timothy, he says, "Hey Timothy, pay close attention to yourself, as well as your teaching, as well as your vocation, as well as your ministry. Like, pay attention to your, you know, job. That's great. Your vocation. But first, pay close attention to yourself. Like, Timothy, manage yourself well. And that's what we're going to talk about today: is how to manage ourselves." Well, in a way, like he says in another passage, Timothy, make sure you keep your passion for your calling burning hot. And it's interesting because he doesn't say, hey, it's everybody else's responsibility to do that. He's saying it's your responsibility to do that. Like, that we're not a victim of our lives. We're an agent of our lives. And for you and me, we can learn to manage our lives in such a way that we have good rhythms, we can maintain energy and joy and meaning in our work. If we don't do that, it doesn't matter what our job is. We're going to find ourselves full of anxiety and burnout and all kinds of things. So let's talk a little bit about um, this work life rhythm, healthy rhythms. I mean, self-management is a really big topic. We're just going to focus on work life rhythm. And notice I, I didn't say work life balance. So this is a balance beam. Why they gave me a pink one, I don't know. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just, you know, they did. So, you know, a lot of times you'll talk about work-life balance and the trick is we we need to learn to be balanced, you know, and and to keep everything in balance. Um, And that's hard to do. It's pretty much impossible to do. And I don't have all that great of balance and also have a strained Achilles, which doesn't help. Um, and, and I I'm not going to try to do much on this balance beam, even though it's only inches above the ground. Um, I wish I was Simone Biles, you know, or ability and I could do a double flip or something like that. I could try that. It would be a way for Chase Oaks to go viral. You know, Texas pastor attempts a flip uh, and, you know, look at the disaster that happened. I can do something. I, 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 is that good? All right. There we go. Right, so a lot of people, you know, they try to be balanced, right? And that's the trick. You're like, I'm gonna do everything balanced, my family, my job, my volunteering, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and wonder why you always feel guilty all the time. When you're at work, you're feeling guilty about the other stuff. When you're at the other stuff, feeling guilty about work. Um, because that's just not the way life works. We're never actually told to be balanced. Uh, what the Bible emphasizes is really different. To have periods of imbalance. But just keep those in, in, in rhythm. Seasons. So you'll have a season of Work. You have a season of this, a season of that. And there's a way to keep life in healthy rhythm where you're all in 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 this. And then you're all in over here. And as long as we can keep healthy season, healthy rhythm, then we can uh, we can continue to have energy and drive and all that that God wants for us and have joy and meaning in our work. So let's talk about healthy rhythms. That's what we're going to talk about today is how you and I created for this. We'll talk about healthy, like daily rhythms, even more about weekly rhythms and a little bit about yearly rhythms and how to do that. And to do that, we're going to go all the way back to Genesis, where we started last time. We did the same thing last time. When we talked about the story of work. And in Genesis one and two, if you remember when God is creating the world, he works for six days, right? Creating different things. And but notice when you read those passages That he doesn't just keep working through the night. It's not a 24 hour day. At some point he bounds even his day, which we will get to daily rhythm where he stops working. Not because he's done. He's not done, but he stops. And if you if you remember when he stops, he looks with satisfaction and he says, this is good. This is good. This is good. Each day until if you remember from last week, he gets to humans and he says, what? Oops. Yeah, no, he says this is very good. Yeah, that's right. Very good. Um, and even after that, we see, after the days of creation, he joins Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, where they're working, cultivating the, you know, making life work, the garden, all that kind of stuff. And he walks with them in the cool of the day, meaning work's over. The day's not over, but work's over, and they walk together in the cool of the day, and they engage, and they engage life without work. And I just say that, even though this is a brief stop on this little story of this work rest, engagement disengagement rhythm but even daily to think about that and that's all the more difficult now with technology because we're always on we've always got our phone our laptop just right over there especially for people who work at home their little office is just right over there and it's so easy right to just oh i could do this email i can check that i can do that i can do and never really have any space of time just to be off and God had a time and he modeled that with Adam and Eve, just a daily rhythm of work and rest, work and replenishment. But even more significant is the weekly rhythm. So he, he works for, you know, the six days and creates. And on day seven, he does something that's surprising. So it says in Genesis 2, 1, so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all of his work. I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to imagine God creating. I don't know what that looked like, but it's just easy for me to see God, think of God doing that. So He wants to create the sun and the stars, right? And He says it: the sun and the stars, and boom, 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 you know, and then the moon, and boom, and you know, gerbils, and bam, or whatever, right? He's doing all those little, and, and also like that is like, ooh, that's God, that's strong. But it's just hard for me to picture God resting. Like, what did that even mean? What, what does that mean? Because we know God doesn't slumber or sleep. We know he doesn't get he we get depleted. He doesn't get depleted. But he chose to rest, to take his energy another direction away from vocation to avocation to recreation to something like he's 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 taking his energy and enjoying life in a different way than accomplishing. And now, remember, you and I are created in his image. So when we look at patterns that he chooses That's important because, as we're going to see, we're designed in a similar way, except we need it even more. In fact, verse three gets even more significant for you and me because he not only does that, but he does something else. It says, and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all the work of creation. So the seventh day, which will come to be known as Sabbath day, Shabbat in Hebrew just means to cease, to stop, to stop. He does two things. He blesses it. And then he declares it holy. So what does it mean to bless? What what does that mean? They bless the day. Well, blessing is a big word in the Bible. Big concept in the Bible. Old Testament and New Testament. It just means picture like wrap all these things up in a ball. Uh, joy, fulfillment, happiness, meaning, connection. And that's blessed. That's what it means to live a blessed life. Blessing. And what he does is he blesses a day. Now, already for... He's blessed three things in creation up to this point. He's blessed when he creates all living things. He blesses them. When he creates human beings, he blesses them. And then this is the third one and last one of creation. He blesses the seventh day, which means to bless something is to pour extra life, meaning, significance, joy into it. I mean, nothing against Tuesday. Tuesdays are great. Taco Tuesday, you know, or nothing against Wednesday, wings, Wednesday, Thursday Thursday, fabulous Friday, whatever you want. Like all, all days can be good. But he chose the Sabbath day to say, I'm going to pour extra meaning and life and, you know, everything good into that day, into what we now call the Sabbath day. He also declares it holy. And what does that mean? Holy. Now, if you grew up in church, especially in a legalistic kind of church, or if you hear Christians say that and you've seen movies about, you know, legalistic people and all then, then it's easy to think of holy as no fun. Like if, if something is enjoyable or fun, well, you can't do it because you got to be holy. It's, it's boring. You got to do boring stuff or churchy stuff or whatever. And then, okay, that's holy. That's not what holy means. Um, holy simply means to be set apart. That's what that word is. To set something apart for a unique use or for a unique purpose. And so when he declares the, seventh day, the Sabbath day, this rhythm of work, 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 and then rest or recreate replenish. He declares that he's saying, look, this is a unique day. This is a day set apart for all the other days. This is a day for replenishment. This is a day to not have a to-do list. This is a day where you don't do what you must do, or you feel like you, you have to do. This is a day to do what you want to do. This is not a day to do what drains you. This is a day to do what replenishes you and what fills you. He declared the day holy. Now, we've got to pay attention to this because from the very beginning of creation, we see we made in God's image are created for this rhythm of work, 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 rest and replenish. When Jesus, I mean, excuse me, when God sets up the uh, his people in the Old Testament era, the nation of Israel He gives the law in the Old Testament in the Ten Commandments. And the fourth commandment is this is Sabbath. He commands it, I think, because if we're not commanded, we probably won't do it. So he commands it and says, hey, look, you've been created this way. Here is the fourth commandment to keep this day set apart, to observe this, to keep this day holy. And actually, the nation was pretty bad at doing lots of things. And sometimes they were bad at doing this. But mostly they were actually pretty good at doing this one. And what they would do. Is they would start the Sabbath day, which for them was Saturday. Doesn't really matter what day, but Saturday. And they would start it at sundown on Friday and go till sundown on Saturday. That was the 24 hour period of time. Friday afternoon, especially in Friday, they called and it's called in the New Testament, the day of preparation. Because you had to prepare for that. Like, you know, you, because a lot of times when people think of Sabbath day, they think, oh, that's an off day. But it's really different. Because a lot of times in an off day, we're doing all this stuff at home that we haven't had time to because we've been working. And so you're doing all this crud that builds up and you just got to do. Right. And, and uh, but that's not what this is. So they did. It was kind of a buffer day where they would do the crud they had to do and they would get meals ready and all that kind of stuff so that the Sabbath could be just a, a great day and enjoyable and all that. And it started with a meal, a special meal as a family. And of course, for them, that meant extended family. And and they would have this uh, just wonderful evening together on Friday night. Everybody would have looked forward to that after a busy work week. And then the next day was partly worship and partly rest and rejuvenation. So spiritual rejuvenation and physical and relational and all that. And they would just enjoy a day. And uh, and then when Jesus comes, he doesn't blow it off. When Jesus comes, he modeled doing the Sabbath. He participated in the Sabbath. The disciples participated in the Sabbath. But when you read the New Testament, you see that Jesus, you know, he got in trouble a lot with the religious leaders, the legalistic, you know, religious police. There's always those kind of people. But they had a lot of them. And, for, and, and when you see Jesus in the New Testament, he gets in trouble with them a lot. And typically it's on the Sabbath. Because they had all these ideas of what you were supposed to do, what you could do, what you can't do on the Sabbath. And in the in the Old Testament, all it says is, hey, don't work. Set aside this day for rest, for recreation, for rejuvenation. Don't work. Do this. That's all it says. That's pretty vague. And so, over the centuries what they decided to do. And eventually they codified it, all these laws, 1500 laws called the Mishnah. Uh, hundreds of those laws about the sabbath that just making it really clear oh you can do this but you can't do this you can't do this and it's very arbitrary and so Jesus loved it's fun reading if you read the book of mark this weekend from that perspective it's kind of fun because he just loves doing things on the sabbath right in front of the religious police and knowing they're going to blow their whistle and go ah you can't do that and even though he's god right he can do what he wants but they don't know that and so they're blowing the whistle and he loves that in fact one time um, I think it was when he, they were uh, his disciples, it was in the harvest. They were picking grain on the Sabbath, just walking around, just eating little things of grain. And the disciples and the Pharisees were like, well, you can't do that. What are you doing You're You know, you, that's ungodly. You can't do that. And Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man talking about himself is Lord, even of the Sabbath. This guy kind of saying, guys, I'm God I can do what I want. But. He also says something very important about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And what they had done was made it so laborious and so not enjoyable and so difficult. They made it a burden when God meant it as a gift, something to be enjoyed as a family, something to be treasured. Uh, My granddad was a pastor and uh, and he was in a denomination that tended to be well, they didn't tend to be. They were just very legalistic, especially uh, back in the day when this story is. And they had all these rules about all kinds of stuff that extra to the Bible, you know, help you obey the Bible by all these extra rules that everybody's got to do them and all that kind of takes all the fun out of everything, including the Lord's Day, so they call it the Sabbath Day, right? So, which was um, you know Sunday for them, and. Uh, My aunt, my aunt Judy, was probably five, six years old, and she was invited after church on a Sunday to go swimming with someone down the street. So she asked my granddad and grandmother, can I go swimming? And granddad said, well, honey, you know, it's the Lord's Day. We don't go swimming on the Lord's Day. And she protested a little bit. And he said, well, I tell you what, honey, you you know, we know that you're not supposed to go swimming on the Lord's Day, but why don't you go pray about it? And uh, so she goes upstairs and she prays about it and comes down about five minutes later with her bathing suit on and a towel around her neck. And uh, and my grandmother said, where do you think you're going? And she said, well, you told me to pray about it. I did. And God said, going swimming is a perfect thing to do on the Lord's Day. And uh, and, and my grandmother looked at my granddad and said, now what are you going to do? And he said, well, if the Lord told her to go swimming, I'm not going to get in the way. She's going to go swimming. Which I think not only helped her, right, but helped him too, kind of loosen up a little bit because that's the spirit of the Sabbath. Interestingly, this is a by the way, you didn't pay for this if you gave money to uh, this is a bonus. OK, so um, when Jesus, one of the things he gets in trouble for doing on the Sabbath a lot is most of his healings we have in the New Testament are on the Sabbath day. And in um, and the Pharisees, well, you can't do that. You can't heal this person that's been lame forever. And now he's walking on the Sabbath. Shame on you. And Jesus is like, really, that's your focus right now. This guy who's been lame his whole life is now walking and you're upset with me for healing him. But what that tells us is, is it because of God's character? Healing is not work for him. Like for some of you, you love to golf. That's replenishing for you. For some of you, you love to garden. That's replenishing. Some of you love to read. Some of you love to hunt. Whatever you love to do for God, it's like, man, I just love healing people. It's kind of cool thinking about that. Anyway, so that's Jesus, right? The early Christians. They also participated in Sabbath. They didn't blow it off the early church. They actually changed the day uh, to Sunday but in, in honor of the day in which Jesus resurrected. That's why church to this day is on Sunday. And they did their worship and, and it was a day of rest and recreation and that kind of thing. And uh, so they continued that practice. And it doesn't mean you have to do church on Sunday. That was just the tradition um, that they did that goes till this day. And uh, so that's the early Christians. And then we get up to modern Christianity, to our era. And we pretty much, especially in American Christianity, just blow the whole thing off. It's just not something that's that important to us. It's not something we really think about. And uh, I mean, it's still in our culture that we have off days and work days, but that's about it. We don't really keep like think about Sabbath and a day only for replenishment and and rest and rejuvenation and worship and family and friends. And that we just don't do that. And, and there's some reasons for that, because Christians will say, well, you know, it's not commanded in the New Testament. I mean, it's commanded in the it's the fourth of the Ten Commandments, but it's the only one of the Ten Commandments. that's not repeated in the New Testament. And we're not under the Old Testament law anymore. So we don't have to do that. And so we're not going to. You know, we don't have to do the Sabbath. So we're not the problem. And and I've been there. I mean, I am not a good Sabbath guy. So you think, well, why are you preaching this message? That's a really good question. But I'm going to try. Okay, I'm going to try to do better. Um, I'll talk about that. But um, but I've kind of blown it off. But the problem with that way of thinking is that it predates the law. It goes all the way back to when we're created. It goes all the way back to Genesis. I mean, Jesus did it, too. But and that should be enough for those of us who are Jesus followers. But still go, going all the way back, it is part of our. So if you and I, it may not like I don't know, you have to feel really guilty if you blow it off. It's just not smart to blow it off. It's just really unwise to blow it off. And it actually is ungodly to blow it off because God didn't blow it off. This is part of how you and I are created with this rhythm. And, and if we don't do it, we just hurt ourselves. And wonder why we're so exhausted and joyless and our soul is not as connected to each other and to God and and all that. It it would have been way it could be way different if we simply honored this rhythm Um, to that point. So years ago, a a wealthy business guy in Dallas who's in heaven now, he died a few years ago, his name Bob Buford. He sold a company, made a bunch of money. And he didn't have any his uh, his son, unfortunately, had died young and he, they had no kids. And so his deal was, I want my last check to bounce. And I'm just going to make sure this money goes to do all kinds of things to further God's purposes in the world. Well, I was the recipient of some of that. And, and uh, he took an interest in about 10 pastors at the time. And he took us he paid for us to go through what we would not have a- had access to go through or been able to afford. And that was this executive coaching experience that was uh, in order to be in this, you had to be a C-level leader at a Fortune 500 company. So large, huge company, C-level leader. So we were there with CEO, ten, us 10 pastors with these CEOs and CFOs and COOs and C-whatever-Os. And we were there and they were all looking at us like, what are you doing here? Because they had a lot nicer watches and clothes than we did. But uh, so we're, you know, they're doing this thing. And it's really interesting because a lot of it. And they were trying to talk people into doing this and they had all this research underneath it. We're talking people into uh, dividing your week time management into different days. Three kinds of days. Uh, first one was a focus day where you said, hey, all this stuff that you never get to, that it's most important for you to get to. But you feel guilty all the time or you just feel like you can't do it because everybody's pulling you so many directions. The things that your company needs you to do most and, and, and you can't really delegate put in a, at least one day a week maybe two days a week, that's a focus day where you focus on that. You don't let anything crowd it out a focus day. And then you have days that are buffer days. That was the second kind of day where you're just doing all the stuff you got to do. And the third day is the most important in their system, most significant. They called it a free day. And they defined a free day as a 24 hour period of time where you only did that which was replenishing. In fact, if you it, the, their rule, they were like the Pharisees. If you if you answered one email for 10 seconds on your free day, you had to call it a buffer day. It was just ruined. A 24 hour period of time where you did only no work, only that which was replenishing and restorative and you know all that. And they had all this research to show that when people started doing this at that level, how their creativity spiked. How they better ideas, how not only their career uh, did better, but how their department, even how their whole company did better as a result. And why they also had all this brain research too to show that I think it's beta waves or something, if I remember right. Maybe theta. I don't know. I don't know. It was a long time ago. But uh, where, you know, you, creativity doesn't happen in work mode. Creativity happens in non-work mode. That's why when you're in the shower, not only do you sing Awesome. But you have your best ideas, right? Because your brain's just in another mode. And you're like, ooh, that's a good idea, right? Because that's the way we're created. Well, they didn't talk about creation. This wasn't a Christian thing. But they had all this research to demonstrate that if if they could just talk to executives into one free day a week, how everything in their career and life and relationships and their company would be way better. Now, for those of us who are pastors, we were looking at each other like, man, they could have saved a lot of money. I I mean, it's cool they did the research, but if they just read Genesis two. like, you know, because it goes all the way back to creation. It's the way we're it. But it is interesting, right, to see just empirical research be like, yeah, you should do that. It's a novel idea. It also happens to be thousands of years old, but still novel idea. And so why blow it off? And and I don't know that we have to be overly slavish to it, but again, it just unwise to act like it's not a thing because it's a thing. And and if we don't want to end up feeling constant burnout and and if we want a richer life with God, a deeper soul, better relationships with each other, with our families and our kids. I mean, it is a really important rhythm of work in Sabbath rhythm. And to say, I'm going to choose a day of the week to, to do that. And again, we may have to have another period of time. That's a buffer day. Just to do all the stuff around the house. You got to do. But let me, since I haven't been so good about doing it, because I, I can figure out in my schedule how to do one day off a week, I should be able to figure out how to do two. I just haven't figured that out all these years. And that's Saturday, which is hard because you people get married on Saturday, things like that, right? So it's like there's some things I can't do like that. And other pastors have different off days and do that. But that's why I don't really do that. And uh long story, why, how that happened. But Saturday I try to keep as an off day, but because it's one day, you still got all the crud you got to do around. It gets sneaked in, you know, to we well, got a vacuum or you got to fix this or do this or do this chore or whatever. Right. Um, so I'm trying I'm going to try to do better. I really am. Next week, I'm going to try to do better because I already got a meeting tomorrow night. But I'm going to do better or Saturday night. Um, so I'm to, But I'm going to refer to somebody who does do this well. He's a younger pastor. who's written a lot. And his name is John Mark Comer. He's written a great book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, where he talks about how he does this. Also a book called Garden City, where he talks about this. And, and I'm just going to describe what he does, because, again, the idea of a Sabbath is to do that which is restorative. And even if this even in this thing that we went to with the CEOs and stuff, they made you list out here are the things that drain you and here are those things that fill you. And on that day, he just said, hey, all the things that drain you like for me, things like manual labor. Uh, drains me, right? Uh, there's a lot of things that drain, or, but here's the things that fill you. So you, on that day, it's only what fills you, and, and all that. Well, here's how John Mark does it. So, he works on Sunday, cause he's a pastor, and he preaches, and so, that kinda kills Sunday for him. For some people, Sunday is part of, the worship experience is part of Sabbath, and that's kinda the traditional thing, and, um, and even a lot of people love to volunteer, and it's just life giving for them, and all that, and that's great too, and that, that's, so you can do Sundays, whatever day. You can do Monday. You can do any day you want. But he does Saturday. So he does the Jewish thing, like Friday at sundown it starts to, to Saturday at sundown. So they, he's got little kids, and so they um, they have other days that they do, you know, do all the buffer stuff that you got to do. But by Friday night, they have a meal together, a Sabbath meal, and their little kids look forward to. The, to it's a Sabbath more than anything. Cause he's got kids that are so little, they don't have a sense of time. So every day they wake up. Is it Sabbath? Is it Sabbath? Is it Sabbath? No, that's six days from now. That was yesterday. It was, you know, it'd have to do all that all the time. But they have this meal on Friday night. A lot of times they'll invite family. They'll invite friends. They'll, you know, all that too. And then on Saturday, here's the way they arrange it. And they've got their little rules. He says, we do sleep in, relax, spend time in the scriptures, pray. Eat our way through the day. Enjoy nature. Go for a walk to the park or sometimes on a light hike. Spend time with close friends and family. We don't buy or sell except for food as we love to go out for brunch or ice cream. We don't touch our email. We don't post anything on social media because our phones are off. We don't run errands or catch up around the house. We don't talk about stuff that's heavy or sad or divisive. There are six other days in the week for that. Uh, We don't talk about stuff we need to get done. We rest from even the thought of work. We don't read a magazine or visit a website or a store that would make us want more because on the Sabbath we have enough. But these rules aren't suffocating or rigid. They're pliable and limber and spacious, meaning you're not overly legalistic with it. And this is their deal for you. It may look different from that. But just what it, what would it look like to actually begin to honor this and be, and begin to do this? And, and, and some of the practical things you 'll find is well, like if you 're married um, or you have a family, that what replenishes some is really draining to others right so for one person they love to read that 's all they want to do, and people are like, "I hate reading it is terrible that 'd be the worst thing ever. Other people they like to work in the yard, some people like to cook not because of necessity, but they just love to do that. Some people like to. You know, you can pick up like to play golf and the people hate golf and, you know, all that, right? everybody's got their thing. And so one thought and they do this, too. But one thought is just, hey, let just turn people loose for a few hours just to do your thing and then come back together as a family and hang out and, and do stuff as a family. That's enjoyable. Eat meals together. Go on walks together. Do go for a movie, like whatever you want to do, like just structure it and think about it to, to make it really joyful, life giving for everybody. Um, one person I heard from had they have a special needs son who requires constant care, which they love caring for their son. But it he requires. Care. So for them, there's no way to just say, hey, sorry, dude. Uh, good luck for today because we're not doing they can't do that. That's not their, what they would do. And he's part of the family, too. So for them, uh, mom. It is kind of, hey, for a few hours, you go off and do your thing. Dad, you go off and do thing. And then we're all going to be together as a family, including their uh, other siblings. And and of course, their son that has uh, needs special care. And they find they hang out together and do that. And and some of you may say, hey, I, I can do a whole day like this. We'll do half a day. I'm just just figure out some kind of I mean, start with that. Figure out some kind of rhythm that works every week. And then there are yearly rhythms, too. And, and I'm not going to go into all this, but it, when you look at the way God structured the Old Testament nation of Israel in the Old Testament law, he structured life in a way that they had a lot of time. On vacation, it was sort of forced vacation, all these feasts and all this kind of stuff for the nation They would go weeks at a time. I mean, if you add them all up, it's really astounding because every week they had a Sabbath. Every week was a vacation day every week. But then they would have these extended, you know, all, all just all over, all over the schedule where all these where the nation would take all these breaks and then weddings for them weren't just like go, you know, for an hour and eat meatballs and, you know, do whatever. It was like a, it, they would go sometimes days or even a couple of weeks at a time and you would you. Just, yeah, you weren't going to work because we have a family wedding, where we, our friend, and we're going to be there for a week. And so they had the, the yearly rhythm was a lot more like Europe is today and a lot less like America is today. And again, it's not mandated for us, but it's just something to consider. Like, I, I have friends who live in, in Europe, and, uh, and I have friends who live in New Zealand. In Europe, like we, and we used to have this organization that we wrote curriculum. And they and we'd have these meetings and, and say, hey, let's try to meet in August. And the Europeans were like, oh, no, not August, because nobody works in August. They're like, what do you mean? Like, when in August? like, I'm not like just a day in August. Oh, no, not August. Like, you mean the month like you don't work? the? Oh, yeah. So that all your vacation time is in August. Well, no, not all of our vacation. That's not vacation. That's August. Like, what? And then in New Zealand. So we're trying to do the same thing with the New Zealand part of our crew. And we said, well, how about January, you know? Oh no, not January! It's like August is for that. Are you kidding me? Like it might be in punk right now? Yeah, no, no, nobody does anything in January in New Zealand. Like you don't even have church services in New in January. Like what? <laughs> what are you talking about? So all your vacation time in New Zealand is... Oh no, that's not vacation. Like we we have other vacation, but that's just January. Like wow, you know. Um, and of course, America, right, is, you know, a lot of times we don't we don't take vacations. We don't we may have them, but we're kind of proud if we still have vacation days at the end of the year, it's just a different mentality. And, and I you know there's arguments all kinds of ways. But it's just interesting to me, right, to think about a yearly rhythm. And it's actually counterproductive, I think, to ignore the fact that we need this rhythm of work and rejuvenation. So I just invite you to think about your rhythm. Where, where are you at in this? And if you're married, talk about it as a couple. If you're as a family, be cool to talk about as a family. I mean, one thing is like competitive sports. That's hard. You know, is that rejuvenating or not? Or I don't figure it out. I don't know. We, we, I I can't talk about that too much anymore, but uh, because I don't have time, but. Just figure it out what that means for your family. And uh, if you're single, talk about with some friends. And and I, I think it, it's great to include other people, not just you don't have to just do it as a couple. You don't just have to do it by yourself. You don't just have to do it with your family. You can invite other people in to participate and uh, and think about people who may be alone. That's no fun. And include them in. And but whatever you do, just take some time to think about Again, you can blow it off if you want. But don't be surprised if you find yourself exhausted Burned out, not overly creative, your soul pretty shallow and your relationship's pretty sallow. And if that's what you want, go for it. But if you want something more than that, it's probably wise to pay attention to how we're created, to live like Jesus lived, to model what God modeled for us and to do what the fourth commandment said, to take a day as a free day. And it is a not natural. It is a skill to be developed and God will help us do it. Let's bow our heads together. Now, Father, I thank you that you are very clear how you created us for this rhythm of work and rejuvenation. Work hard, play hard. And, and Father, in all the craziness of our culture right now where so many people feel so exhausted and illegitimately so, just overstretched, overworked. Father, would you help us all the more to pay attention to this and and help us take our part of responsibility to pay close attention to ourself. And I pray you'd help us to do that well and to manage our life well. In Jesus name. Amen.